So part of being a bookie, part of a bookie's job is to facilitate the bets that gamblers want to place. So if you would like to facilitate a bet on a book, aka request for me to read a book, you can do so at the Anchor app. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R and find me, Bookie, and you will be able to choose a book or suggest a book, let's say, and we'll see how that goes. I don't know if anybody will ever respond. I didn't get a response about J.K. Rowling, which I am glad about because I really could rather not go through that. But I was going to do it just to see what all the hullabaloo was about. But I am your bookie and I want you to know that you have a stake in the stories that you get to listen to. You are either going to be treated with my iterations of the reviews that I read or you can anticipate something that you want to hear about. So the choice is yours. Today we are going to be plunging back into the world winters has set for us in thousands. Been sucked into this series for good, or you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing at this point, but nevertheless, I am in this, and we only have, I think, books in this series. And if I'm not mistaken, this is book three for us pennies, dollars, hundreds, thousands. No, this is book four, and I believe billions is next. Or millions, rather. I don't know if there's a billions, but I guess I'm going to find. So we begin basically um, seeing Elder the next scene. We left hundreds and Pim had left. And the very next scene, or the scene we were currently in when we left hundreds, was that Elder was locked in the bathroom, trying to keep himself from her. And she had left, but he had been so, let's say, diligent in locking himself away that she had been long gone by the time he left the bathroom. And you already know what happened, that as soon as he discovered that she was gone, he went into complete a complete manic panic where internally he regretted every decision that he ever made up until that point that caused him to leave as in emotionally leave her and so he heaped the guilt on just shovel by shovel and immediately panicked because Pam has never been on her own not really and certainly since he's been a since he has had her, she's never been on her own. So you can imagine the anxiety that he has knowing that not only is she on her own, but he caused her to make such a decision. So if anything befalls her, he is going to feel that much more guilt. I don't know how he made it all these years in life with all this guilt, because it seems like it's something that would just meet you would meet your end I feel at a certain point in this 
But we find out some information about Tasman that is nice to find out, which much of it we kind of knew. Nevertheless, her name is Tasman Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E. Now, she is English. I don't know if I am saying that right, but you get the point nevertheless. She is a psychology student from West London, and she had good grades and a lonely existence. She has perfect behavior as a role model and daughter to one of the most prolific criminal psychologists in the UK. And I think all of her exposure to, quote, psychology has made her more neurotic than she would normally be because she's been exposed to that, it looks like, all her life. So she would be very sensitive. I was about to say extremely. Anyway, she'd be extremely sensitive to any psychological pings that she received. So I'm sure that, you know, had she not been exposed to, quote, the psychological world, she might not even be as bad off because she might not really know to have a problem with things, if that makes any sense. Pim goes off on her own, and you can imagine that it's only a matter of time before she fucks it up, and she definitely does. Elder has bred a thief, and it becomes what she turns to in order to get home. She doesn't have any money, obviously, so she has to find a way to get a plane ticket, to have money, to get a, a visa, all of those different things, or passport rather, all those things she would need to survive. She doesn't even have money for food, so she's going to have to find a way. What she ends up doing is following behind about four friends, I believe, and they're from all appearances, very rich. Um, and I don't want to say ditzy, but just that annoying bunch of girls who don't care about anything other than their own desires. In that group, she does notice that there is one girl that is different. And she decides early off that she kind of likes her because of her difference, her different attitude. Nevertheless, she tries to blend in with them, which she thinks that she is doing well. And they've got their purses slung on their arms, and they are not thinking about being robbed. So when Pam reaches her hand inside of two of the purses and takes the wallets, she believes that she has gotten away scot-free. Nevertheless, somebody saw her because no sooner than she's walking away and gets down just a little bit of the way, do they scream for her to stop and try to initiate other people into helping them stop her so she runs and I don't know if this is common in Monte Carlo which is in the French Riviera but she ends up running down you guessed it a dead end and they have her cornered and she has nothing else she can do other than beg for them to have mercy on her and she does as much she hits the knees because that's what she's used to doing. And she asks them to forgive her. She gives them their money back. She tells one girl, because one of the wallets has credit cards in it. And she decided that I'm not going to take that because she doesn't want to, I guess. 
but she does take the cash that's in one of the other wallets so the one that she doesn't take the credit cards out of she leaves that on the table in a cafe and she tells them hey i left it there if you want to find it you can go find it here is your cash please i'm sorry um for one reason or the next she um i don't know if it's at that point that she confesses to them but at some point well let's say this she just tells them that she really needed it and the one that she liked wants to show her some mercy she says you know what i believe her we got our money back you canceled your cards your cards are literally in the mail on their way to you let's just let it you know let's let like let bygones be bygones and just go our separate way but in every group of girls there's always some kind of a leader even if she's unofficially the leader and she's this raven-haired woman who has a bad attitude who just she fits every every rich girl trope you can think of she fits it and she's like no she stole our stuff she is going to pay back for that it's the principle of the matter so she calls her boyfriend harold and she taunts pim with how when harold gets there she is going to make sure that he understands that um she didn't appreciate having her back stolen and that she is going to have to pay and that he's going to take some stuff from her and pim is immediately transposed back to her as she always will be i think any anything that she goes through for the rest of her life is going to remind her of, of being abused by alric unfortunately so harold gets there harold is everything you think he is a rich prick his name is harold Medessa. he is marissa's boyfriend but in those situations it seems like it's always the girl is with the guy but the guy doesn't really actually ever tell the girl that i'm really not that into you but i'm just gonna let you hang on to me because i'm rich and i have nothing better to do so anyway he's miranda's boyfriend and when pim sets eyes on him and his attitude toward her when he starts to you know do his little montage he immediately puts her in the mind of alric alric was this blonde hair blue-eyed monster and she says that he reminds her of a young alric so she pleads for her forgiveness but you know obviously miranda is not trying to hear that the friend that she likes is simone her name is simone simone has of all the girls she seems to be the only one who has her natural hair color is mousy brown and she's just different her friends are stuck up she isn't her friends seem callous she isn't she seems to be the one who has some kind of heart so the friends that she robbed are named simone who is the ringleader callie uh excuse yeah wait a minute simone is not the ringleader i'm sorry monique is the ringleader you know what i am totally off i'm sorry guys Miranda, the leader. Simone is the one with the heart. Callie is another one, and Monique is one, but she's not the ringleader. Nevertheless, she pleads with them, but they don't want to hear that, as in the ringleader doesn't want to hear that. So Harold commences to kicking her tail. He 
knees her in the stomach. He kicks her in the stomach. He punches her in the eye. I mean, he whoops her like she is a grown man. And they're loving it. Harold and the girlfriend are loving it. The other three are not so convinced. They are not into this. Simone is absolutely against it because she has a heart. But one of the other girls runs away. She is like, I'm out of here. Thankfully, she did that because apparently wherever she went, she must have called the police because the police show up on the scene. And they 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 him Harold up because they're they roll up on him and he's beating up a girl. And Harold is like, you got me, you know, messed up. Do you know who I am? You know, the rich trope. And they're like, we don't care. You're breaking the law. He indicates, hey, she stole my girlfriend's purse. So she had this coming to her. Now, this part of the thing killed me because the law enforcement comes and they uh, hem him up and they're being rightfully being um let's say tuned in to the person they have the per- they have the person in cuffs they need to have in cuffs i'm not saying she is innocent but he needs contained let's say so while they are cuffing him and he's telling them this they avert their attention to him to her and they're like is this true did you do that and she can't deny it because she just can't so she did she definitely says yes so they still put him in the in the car but they also put her another down to the station she's essentially under arrest because of the condition that she is in she's battered yet she's still under arrest so they treat her as let's say more of a victim than a criminal initially So she is met by a woman named Carolyn Gray. And I don't know if it's really pronounced Carolyn Gray because it's spelled C-A-R-L-Y-N. But she's going to be Carolyn for me. Because Carlin sounds a little bit too masculine for me. So, sorry. So she's the detective in charge of Pim's case. And the French where Riviera speaks French, therefore... Um, I don't know why I have this as a note, but they do speak French. (laughs) Anyway, she takes Pim in and this almost feels like what should have happened to Pim all along, but we're getting it now. And that is, they know that they are dealing with a woman who has been ravaged. She has been Crimes have been committed. She might be there for a crime, but crimes have been committed to her. And they have to get to the bottom of it. And because of that, you know, they have their special victims unit. I don't know if it's called SVU, but they deal with her as if they would deal with any other woman who comes in there as battered as she is. So they sit her down and she talks to her. And she talks to her as a human being while she's cuffing her to the damn examination bed they speak and she talks to her like a human being and Pam is marveling at how they're treating her as as a person and not some kind of an animal and because of that soft touch they give her she everything 
She tells them how she was sold on the QMB. She tells them how Alric brutalized her. She tells them how she was rescued. But she does not tell them. Elder's name. She doesn't tell them about how she's been living on a yacht for the last few months. She doesn't tell them anything that would incriminate Elder. Because obviously she loves him so much that the last thing is to get him in trouble. While she is there, they examine her. Because even though she's got a fresh fresh shiner that's you know in various stages of bruising and 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 inflammation and you know her current injuries are bad enough but she still has evidence of scarring from other stuff that is visible to the naked eye so they decide that they need to do a full battery of tests for her because they know that more than what we see has happened to you She agrees with that. And their physician comes in and does the full battery of tests on her. And when they get the results of that test, they determine that not only does she have early onset osteoporosis, which she knew surgeon on, they realize that she is uh, full of scar tissue in her. Um, basically she can't have children or so they say because of all the internal scarring from what Alric did to her and this devastates her because she says as soon as she got the news that she couldn't have a child that's when she wanted to have one more than ever so she's devastated by that before but Tasman is only 21 she was captured by, or let's say she was sold on the QMB when she was 18. And she's 20 now. Or she, let's say she was she's 21 now. But she was 18 when, all, when the deal went down. So she is still very young. While she is there and she gives them her story, she also tells them her name. And because of that, they are able to make connections to the fact that there is a larger case here. And that is the case that was opened up to her disappearance in England. She was being sought after. And I don't know how true this story is because it just doesn't seem right to me. Because I'm feeling like, I don't know, I just, it, it book one made Sonia Blythe, who is Tasman's mother, seem more guilty of something of, of having done something than, than what it seems now. Now it seems like she almost martyred herself. She, um, they, they realize that this is Tasman Blythe of Sonia Blythe and the case of the disappearing beauty from England who was sex trafficked, etc. Sonia Blythe supposedly captured a man named Keith Kiewit. Keith Kiewit is supposedly the man that sold Tasman. Ken Kiewit was somehow captured by Sonia, brought to her house, questioned, and beaten to death for selling her daughter. 
And that's what the report says. So I'm not sure how 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 much I can believe of that, but I was I was ready to hate her mother. I'm holding judgment out for that because I don't know if I can I don't know if that the mother is as innocent as they're making her out to be, but this is the story that they're telling. PM was sold on what is called the quarterly market of beauties or the the QMB. she's there for about two or three days let's say at the police station and because of her injuries and her being a part of something altogether bigger than some petty theft she's not really been thrown into a, a cell they've examined her they fed her they gave her a shower they gave her some clothes albeit you know uh handcuffed to stuff but nevertheless they're you know special victim a special victim has to be treated like this so that they don't just completely lose them so what happens is they agree that if she does not press charges against them that they won't press charges against her and given the circumstances of her life she realizes that this is her best option, so take it. And so she did. Elder, back in his camp, he is on his way to go to his family because Chinmoku has found not only his family, but has found him. But his chief concern is to keep his family safe because Chinmoku killed one of his like fifth cousins or something like that. And even though he doesn't even know who this cousin is, he has decided that, you know what? If I have to protect everybody that has ever been in my bloodline, I'm going to do that so that I don't have to be responsible for their deaths, even if I never have or never will meet them. So he chooses to sail for America. (laughs) I believe his mother has sailed, not sailed, but his mother has gone to America with her brother. Nevertheless, he was on his way there. But the nagging, obsessive thoughts of Pim and how could he leave her and he loves her and he just wants to be with her, all that is keeping him from being able to do anything other than go and find her. And he rationalizes. And if I'm not mistaken, either Celix or someone else helps him to come to reason that you have men on Chinmoku. As in, he has people set up wherever his family lives, and they are taking Chimoku out now. They couldn't get to that family member, apparently, but he's got men out there who are ready, willing, and able to handle Chimoku. It's just one of him. So why go there, put yourself in danger, and help them when it's more of them than you? They can do a better job than you can by yourself trying to go and raise hell over a fifth cousin. I mean, fine, but keep some perspective you have people in place to do this we need you focusing on what you need to focus on you can't be everywhere at once so you need to pick one so he chooses that not only am I not going to go and do the job for the people I paid to do this I am going to go back for Pim so they halt their plans and even though they have set sail for the United States he readies the helicopter so he can get back to 
Monte Carlo pronto. On his way there, he hacks into the computers in Monte Carlo to look for her. It dawns on him that, damn, she could be in jail. And for sure, he finds her. And what he does is takes her whole file and deletes it. While he's in there, unfortunately, somebody else did as well. But he doesn't find that out until after the fact. So he has the kind of skills where he can hack into highly secured networks and just have his way. The police realized that he did that. Not only did he do that, though, someone else did that, too. And when Elder finds that out, ultimately, he believes it might be Chimoku, who not only went in and tampered with her record, but actually thinks that they might be the ring leaders or the heads of the QMB. And in that case, makes it that much more urgent for him to protect Pam and to avenge them because Ultimately, they are at the root of all the pain in his life, all the way down to Pam. So, for the first time in this story, Elder pisses me off. And he pisses me off because he goes into the police station in Monte Carlo and he goes ballistic. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, he is on the underground and they cannot... The Arthur can't do more to express how dirty his business can get. But you mean to tell me that you have the self-awareness of an ant and you go into that police station and you're demanding, I want Pam out here now. I want her to be freed now. I am such and such, this and this and that. And the third, and the police are gathering you know, they're coming out of their holes and looking at who is this cutting up in the police in the lobby commanding that we release somebody who is here under arrest. So he is just completely going off and he's setting off major red flags to the detective. She is free. He finally sees her and he crushes her against his body, you know, all that stuff. And Carolyn Gray walks her out. And he's just still going off. And after a certain point, they're like, she's like, Elder, I'm I'm free. You can calm down. And they're sitting there. He's sitting there like, you free? Now, he is calling her Pam, which is her slave name. Now, she's at a police station. You have to imagine if they run fingerprints, if they I mean, police have a way of having your information somehow. So why are you in here using a name that used to be her name? Not even used to be her name is a name that's attached to you killing the person that gave her the name. Why are you doing that? You are so dumb right now. I have not seen Elder be this dumb as he's being right now. Um. He's going off. He's like, you know, she stole a wallet. That's nothing. I've stolen more. And he's, she literally has to step in front of him and put her hand on his stomach for him to shut up like elder. Okay. And the detective, not only is the detective and the person at the front desk, but other police have corralled around. I mean, they have a complete audience while he's doing all this. And I'm like, okay, can you be more obvious? She might be free to go. 
But these are police. Everybody is a suspect. You might be going free, but don't you think they're going to take your the picture that they clearly have on CCTV and compare it in their system and take your name and compare that in the system. And I mean, they are taking notes on everything that you're doing, saying, not doing, not saying, but you're doing so much. They don't even have to read what you're not saying because you're giving them everything. So. Um. They also do something that pisses me off, and that is they they start making up in the police station. You would think, okay, well, maybe that's not too bad, but it is because they're having this open, they're having this conversation, and it's like, he's like, do you want to come with me? And she's like, do you want me to come with you? And it's not like the kind where, it's not the kind of conversation that you would have with somebody that you love. And it's kind of almost normal. Like you guys got into it and it's like, we're kind of making up. No, it almost sounds like a captor and his captive where he's like, do you want to come back with me? And she's like, do you want me? Do you want to have me? You know, it's like, it sounds more like master and servant versus man and woman. And they're all just standing here taking this in. And Carolyn Gray, she is a detective but she's one of those detectives that works with clearly she's been put on this case for her quote soft touch. So she see she from day one, she has seen El basically when he came in there and he started talking about Pim, this, Pim, that. And by the time they met him in the lobby, he she was like, Pim. Okay, Pim was a name that she was given when she was brutalized. I think that maybe you might want to call her Tasman, since that's her name. So she's one of these, you know, you can tell that the feminism is strong in this lady and she is not really his fan. And she asked like Pim a couple times, are you sure you want to go with him and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, she's basically wanting to protect Pim more than Pim wants to be protected. Pim is not against it. She actually likes her, but. Carolyn, basically, Carolyn is side-eyeing this entire situation. It's not this happy-go-lucky reunion. Carolyn is looking at it as if Pim is this battered woman, which she is, and she's looking at her through the lens of battered woman syndrome, which she is. And what wouldn't make this as bad is if Carolyn Gray wasn't a detective, but since she's a detective, and another thing that makes this bad is... Pim purposely didn't did not tell Carolyn Gray the name of the person who rescued her. She totally omitted that and kind of I don't Pim didn't even really gloss over it. She just said a good Samaritan found her, fed her, took care of her and helped her. Do you not think Carolyn can put two and two together on that? And if she puts two and two together, that your good Samaritan is this lunatic that came in here demanding and commanding that you get left, that you get freed, then is she not going to do enough digging that's going to lead her directly to the fact that he killed Alric? I mean, if they know that Pim was sold on the QMB, they're also going to know the men that bought people on the QMB. And they're also going to connect that to some high-profile guy who got found in a mansion with two of his friends dead in cold blood. I mean, seriously. And not only that, since Pim's tongue was severed three-fourths of the way, is her blood not going to be all over that mansion? And are they not going to 
compare that against every sample they probably took on her. I'm sure they got DNA and everything from her. So they're going to make two, they're going to put two and two together eventually. When my, my view is this, Pam, not Pam, Elder should have sent Celix in there or one of his other henchmen and said, hey, I am here to pick up Tasman. And he could have made something up of who he was to pick her up better stated you don't have to say anything this is not a daycare center he could have just been standing there Pim recognized him she could have said her piece to carolyn and left because everything carolyn is asking and has asked did not have to be answered Pim gave it to her wholeheartedly so that really irritated me because now you guys got you guys have the police, they have a target on you guys now. Everything you guys are doing now is going to be surveilled. And I'm not saying that it's not possible that they could have been doing it all this time. But you guys could have been living your lives out on the open sea by yourself free. Now, you guys are going to be investigated. Especially since you stole from the wrong people. Pam. So... She gets on the helicopter, which she's surprised that, you know, it came to this for him to come and pick her up. But because of time's sake, he had to do it. And they get in the helicopter and, you know, for all this making up that they did and all of this, I love you. And they really didn't do a lot of I love you and stuff. But, you know, he he went in and said that, you know, he always wants her around and all this kind of stuff. But then as soon as they leave the police station, it's back to the tug of war. You know, where he's like, I don't want to touch her anymore because if I touch her, I'm going to want to, you know, have my hand glued to her forever. So I'm not going to touch. We back to this again. So they get on the helicopter and he tries not to, but he asks her, did you tell them anything about me, basically? And he doesn't even have to ask it. She answers it before he asks. And she says, no, I didn't tell them anything about you. But she does confess that she told them about the the uh, abduction and all of that. And I can't remember how he he responded to that, but he could not have been okay with it because even telling them that much told them everything. Like, I don't, I don't know why... I'll just put it like this. I don't see them not being in some serious trouble at some point soon because they I would not be surprised if they were followed out of there in some degree. So she gets on there and when she talks to him and tells them, no, I didn't tell them anything about you, etc. She also ends up telling them that they checked her. Now he has set some doctor's appointments for her prior to the whole um ending of book three but she never went because she left and he's like a little relieved because he's like okay well then since they did the full battery on you i don't feel like i need to take you to the gynecologist and all that kind of stuff that he had set up for her and he asked her so was everything okay and she lied and said everything was fine and i just another thing that irritated me about this because, Pim, why are you keeping your potential? Now, 
Carolyn Gray did say you might want to get a second opinion. But I mean, is it that far-fetched to believe that she was damaged severely and maybe irredeemably from that? No. And of everything that has been embarrassing that she has been through and will go through with him, how are you so afraid to tell him that you are barren? You two can't even beat boyfriend and girlfriend. How the hell can you be scared to tell him that you can't have children? You guys can't even have normal, y'all can't even have sex yet. How are you scared to tell him that? I mean, she can't be thinking he won't want me anymore because I'm empty, literally. Because you guys are both total mental basket cases. Seriously, if there is a billions, it is going to have to do some serious time jumping because these two do not need children. I love Elder a little bit, as in I like his character, but he does not need any children. Pam certainly doesn't need any children. She is going to ruin somebody. And as well-intentioned as Elder may be, as protective as he may be as a father and all that kind of stuff, he does not need any children. These two need to be infertilized together, seriously, because they are mental, complete basket cases. They cannot get right. And it's almost a relief, in my opinion, that they can't bring other people in the world because of this. But she feels totally worthless. So I just think that thus far, I'm disappointed in Elder's lack of self-awareness. He went in there and to me, when he went into the police station, he went in there and told them, look, I kill people for a living. Um, I killed the person that did all that stuff to her. I'm on the underground. My money is dirty. Uh, we steal for a living. I steal for a living. I feel like that's what he went in there and said. I could be wrong, but, you know. Um, I um, do not believe that she is infertile because I just don't. I think that that will be a nice little, you know, what do you want to call it? Surprise. But again, if there is a billions, which I can't remember if there is, but if there, let's say millions is the last book, which is only one book away. How much growth? These two people are going to have to have lobotomies in order to be able to be different people. I don't see them being able to heal from anything they've been through in their lives at all. And Elder still has not found Chinmoku. So why are you so worried about having a child? The last thing you guys need to do is to be on the run. Can't function normally as a man and a woman with a sexual relationship and to have a child. Somebody, you know, no. You guys need to, no. You guys don't need to adopt. Y'all don't need to babysit. You guys need to figure yourselves out. And seriously, I just want them, honestly, at this point, I would almost rather one of them die or or they break up because together they just what you want to root. You want to root for them and say, oh, yes, this is great. I mean, I've never read a book where the love interests where I felt like the love interest should not be together. And I don't maybe that was the goal, but um, I just don't see them. I don't see them being able to sustain themselves they just cannot hack it so that is the first part of thousands 
And what are my impressions of the book so far? Well, I you can kind of get my sense of how things are going. The reading is not too bad. I must admit, the, the reading is not as bad as it was like in book two. Book two, was, I struggled. Book uh, four at this point, it's okay. I am enjoying it more because they're introducing new characters, which can be good and bad. Because if you do like J.K. Rowling, you can do too much. So please don't add too many people. But the, the different, uh, let's say, so settings... And the different characters, they are helping the reading process. They're helping me to be able to get through this story better. But that'll do it for uh, this part of the story. And hopefully when I come and report back, you know, I am not hopeful for this book. It doesn't mean that I'm not enjoying the story. It just means that I am not... um, this book, I don't see it. If you are a happily ever after type of person, this is probably not going to be a series that you're going to like because I can't see it ending happily. Only way this series can, honestly, the only way this series can end happily is if everybody associated with them is dead except them. And even if they are the only ones surviving, they are going to have to just ignore everything going on in their minds. It's like they're going to have to walk around like droids. And I just can't see that happening for either of them. Pim, her neuroticism irritated me to no end. Probably between book two and three the most. But I'm starting to see why Elder tried to stay away from her in book one. And I, I really wish he would have succeeded. You know, I almost wish he would have rescued her and sent her away, like the doctor said. Because him being in a relationship is worse than him being alone and lonely. And you think it's intuitively, you think it's always better to have somebody. No, I think it's better for it to just have been his boat, his weed, his cello, Celix, you know, the water. It would have just been better for that. Because as gorgeous and as, you know, attractive as he is, he is almost, I'm going to say, just good for nothing. For real. He just cannot, he cannot get right. And Tasman, she can't get right. They just will not heal. They will not heal. And that's, I think that's what makes me hopeless about this book or this series or these characters. They're, they will not get better. They refuse to get better. And I think it's at a certain point in your pain, in your tragedy and your whatever you're dealing with, at some point you got to say, I am going to get better. I am choosing to move out of this. And Pim, albeit, you know, you can argue that she's still fresh in her recovery process. But if you have read these books or if you've listened to these podcasts throughout these four books, Pim was troubled before the Q&B was a thing. I feel like Pim, honestly, if Pim never would have met Alric, okay, and she just would have like bumped into Elder at the club or something. I think this book would still read the way it reads. 
Now, it might not have been a sex slave recovery type of story, but it would have been like a neurotic woman and a neurotic man type of story. And if you just, you know, douse it with that sexual element, that's literally the only difference is they added a little sex into it, which book one, I felt like, okay, maybe there are, you know, there's a way to pull this off where you can enjoy it as a romance. This is not something you can enjoy as a romance because it's too much psychological damage that these two are putting themselves through and have been put through, I must admit. But you can't enjoy this as a if you decide to read this on your own and you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna read this like a romance, it's not a romance novel. It's a psychological mind fuck. Now Okay. Now maybe that's what she was going for. So instead of romance, you just get mind fucked because that's what's going on. You're just getting your mind is being screwed. That's what's going on. And I don't enjoy that. <laughs> I do not enjoy this. Like, uh, you know, sex through the lens of sexual um This is not romance. It isn't. And I already explained what it is. I do not foresee myself enjoying much more in this book or the rest of this series because they won't let go. They can't let go. But as always, I'm interested to see how she can possibly pull this off. Because if she can, I'll give her her props on where she makes wins. But as it stands right now, the only thing that's being fucked is my mind. There is no romance in here. There is no passion. And the passions that are ignited are just, you, when you read their intimate scenes, it's like being witness to like rape or something. Seriously, it is not even close to being enjoyable of a read or an experience or whatever. So yeah, no, nope, nope, not romance, uh-uh. I guess that's why they call it dark romance, but mm -mm. so I will be back to fill you in on what comes next. So second half of thousands, I have finally completed it and I am ready to report. All right, where to start <laughs> and where to end? Oh. <sighs> Let's see. He rescued her. She's back in his graces. And he's happy to have her back. But just to get on my nerves, they start that cat and mouse game again. That never-ending game of tug of war in which neither one of them win. They both lose. Not that both people lose the game, but they do. And they play this game. They play this game to the point that guys, I, you know, this series has done some very tricky things as far as having my attention. When I began this series, I was going to read Pennies and I reported on it because it was kind of, you know, it was what it was. 
but I did not expect to still be reading this book. <laughs> it has shocked me because I am so, it's not, I don't, I don't feel the same way I feel about J.K. Rowling's book where I was like, you know what? No, I am done with this. The way I feel about this is I am so mentally exhausted and frustrated and irritated, but apparently not enough to quit. I don't know if it's like investment. I don't really think it's that. I am beyond the phase where I force myself to finish books. I used to be like that many, many, many years ago where I felt like I was like tasked with some kind of duty to finish a book that sucked. And it's not that this book sucks. It's just that, oh my gosh, you know how like, um, how can I explain this? It's like starting something and being sucked in and you just kind of have to finish. Like, let's see, you know, when you go to like a water park and you get on a slide and it's you're nervous and you get on it. And as long as you grasp that little lip at the top before you let go, you can kind of go back and say, no, I'm too scared. Let me go back down the ladder but like once you let go it's thrilling and all of that stuff but you can't exactly go back I feel like that now I just they make me she makes me feel like you know what it's not so much I want to quit but it's like I want to take a break like I need to take a break the cat and mouse game is so annoying with these two because they are so in love and they blame each other for everything it's like I'm sorry no I'm sorry no I'm sorry no wait a minute I'm really sorry no you know what that was my fault no you know what if I wouldn't have done that that wouldn't happen and I mean seriously (laughs) they do this so much that you say to yourself okay I don't care how long you were a sex slave you should be good by now like it makes you do that even though in your mind you're thinking no 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 if this happens it's gonna affect you but gosh their internal dialogue is next level it really it it makes you want to just it it makes you want to just scream so these two they go what you're going to find frustrating about this book if you decide to read it and you try to go into it like a romance they are going to get like this close to doing it but they won't at one point she enters into elder's room and she kind of tells him hey i don't care what you're saying i'm going to ask you to let me stay here and he's like Pam you need to leave because you know he's neurotic and he's like I will kill you if you stay here sexually and she's like I have a theory something that she has noticed about now he totally lied in hundreds guys he said that his um, OCD was not associated with numbers now I don't know if the author did this because he doesn't have self-awareness like he lacks the self-awareness to realize that this is what he's doing but it can't be because when he locked himself in the bathroom in hundreds he like washed his hands seven times and like you know dried him seven times and all that kind of stuff so how is his quirk not to do with numbers he made it seem like his only um his his form of OCD was just you know playing the cello till his fingers 
sliced off and, you know, potentially having sex with Pim until he like, you know, made her eyes bleed, you know, sperm or something. So I don't understand why they, she mentioned that because this number thing is becoming a big freaking deal. So she notices that he does everything in threes. Like the three is his magic number. Three is the go button. So when they're eating dinner, like he's eating, he's eating and he has three sharp, three uh, spears of asparagus, three medallions of scallions, three, uh, whatever it is, it's three of them on his plate. And not only is it three, he takes his knife and fork and he cuts into the asparagus and it's one, two, three pieces that he cuts and eats. When he takes a sip of his water, it's one, two, three sips he takes. So you can see she is noticing this pattern. And it dawns on her, hey, if this theory is true, if three actually s- satisfies that neuroticism your ass has, then why don't you just have sex with me three times and then we can be together and be at peace and you can calm the hell down. Now, she doesn't tell him that because he doesn't give her a chance to because they get like this close to doing it and then he has to put her out the room and she's like, you know what? You're going to put me out now, but the next time I'm not leaving. Because at some point, Celix, his right-hand man, ambles up to her after he's he's out in the ocean swimming with the sharks. And he's like, Pim, I know you think that giving in to every whim is helping him. It's not. Stand up to him. Because if you do, it's just like a bully. You know, and he's not saying that he's a bully. He's just saying, you know, what you feel like is the most intuitive thing to do is actually counterintuitive because it's actually feeding the problem. So he says, you know, when he has something to say that you don't agree with, don't just always acquiesce and say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, assert yourself. So that was what she did. She she took the initiative to go and um, make the first move on him, but he didn't want to hear that about the theory. So, we progress in the story and they are basically on their way to England. That's the destination for part of this story in this book. And before they get to England, he has a mysterious phone call. That phone call is from her mother, Sonia Blythe, in which Sonia um, convinces him to uh, bring Pim to her so that she can have a visit. And because he is who he is and his money is long and never ending, he is able to um, bribe the warden of the uh, warden. Why did I say that like that? The warden, the warden of the prison to give her not only a visit, all impromptu, because you know, you got to be on a list and all the rest of that stuff. But he convinces her, he convinces the warden to allow them to have mm-hmm. a uh, contact visit where you can sit in the same room with no cuffs and they can hug and touch and and not be between plexiglass and all that kind of stuff so he convinces them to do that the only stipulation that he is not able to pay for is them not recording it but he's able to be in there with him and the guard has to leave now they only get 15 minutes to do this so now this part does clear up something for me I still don't like the mom because I just don't want to like her. But 
It clears up the reason why I thought Sonya Blythe sold her damn daughter. And that's because when Pam was writing to no one on those pieces of toilet paper in book one, Pam didn't have a good relationship with her mom. Her mom was cold and her mom was the total, you know, she was as she was as neurotic as the people that she saw. Her mom was a psychologist, world-renowned psychologist, like one of the best. And her job was to study criminal the criminal mind and the neurotic mind and what made it tick and why I did this and why I did that and to read people and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So she would say something like, she said something like, oh, Pim would um be asleep and wake up with a night terror. And instead of her mom consoling her and telling her what any other normal mom would and hugging her and just doing what moms do, she said she gave her a damn book and said... <laughs> read this on why we dream what we dream just gold so you know her and her mom didn't have a good relationship and what she did was she kind of channeled all of that uh, resentment through to her mom and kind of cooked up a scenario that in some sick way helped her to deal with the situation at Alric's so they have their moment and it's just it's annoying it's it's draining because it's like, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. No, you wrong. Oh, mom, I didn't let him have my voice. Did I finally, did I finally please you? Did I finally do the right thing? And mom just, you know, slides down to the floor and she's a heap of tears because, you know, um, now that she's in prison, she, she hindsight is twenty twenty. Like she would have done everything differently. So they have their moment and, you know, elder, he all abandoned. So he's feeling like, dang, I should not even be here listening to this stuff and I ain't got no mom and I'm sad. So he gets up and he leaves and she can't find him after the, after they, you know, have their goodbyes and everything. And the mom is like, you know, be with who you want to be with. You know, he seems, he's weird, but he seems like a good guy and all that kind of stuff. So she's like, are you happy? And if you want to be with him, be with him, all that. So Pim leaves that and Celix is there waiting for her and they get in the car and he's, she's like, where is Elder? And he's like, oh, he has something he needed to do. So she's all panicking because she's like, damn, did he leave me? You know, is he finally done with this? And it's like, girl, that dude is not going to leave you. And you not going to leave him because you guys have got to survive to irritate me. That is your sole purpose to irritate my life. And if y'all leave each other, y'all can't irritate me anymore. So um, she goes back to her room and there are two women there and they have matching uniforms and she doesn't really make the connection. He told her on the way over that on the way to the prison that they were going to be, you know, uh, fitted for their clothes because they're going to this ball in book one. They, he reserved, um, you know, two invitations for them to go to this ball and it's business for him. So he has to go, but he takes her and, the two women in the room, she like picks up a letter opener. She is ready to kill some people because she doesn't trust them. And they're like, don't worry, we are here for you. We have your clothes for tonight that we need to make sure fit you. It's a masquerade ball. So they have masks on and they have extravagant dresses. And she has this extravagant dress, which I found the colors interesting. The colors were interesting. Drinking game. Anyway, the colors were like bluish and purplish and somehow all blue blue different shades of blue and red that somehow all coalesced to make a very deep blood red color 
And then she had her mask that covered her face from her, you know, nose up to her hairline. And upon seeing this and the blood red shoes and everything, she fell in love with it. And, you know, it was a line that's specifically made for, it's called the bruised queen. It just spoke to her because obviously she's literally a bruised queen. So Elder was really good at picking this out. It turns out that, you know, he is not really gone. He's two rooms down, but he has to be fitted and he's got his tux, which I think is tailed, you know, tails or whatever. It's black and he's got his black, you know, he's, you know, he looks pretty good in his stuff. So he goes to the ball and he arrives before she does because again, you know, Elder, he cannot see her because if he sees her, he's going to want to, you know, kill her sexually and he waits for her and when he does find her at the ball of course she's perfect she's the best thing ever and it's weird the hosts are weird his name is Jethro Hawk his name is important and I'll share that at the end but he and his wife host this ball and they he he goes to great some great length to explain that you know all please only go into the rooms that are open and all the rumors that you heard you know we we kind of want to let that die here tonight and everybody's like ha 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 we we love a good rumor and all that stuff there's obviously some dark past because like a old woman with like a bedazzled wheelchair rolls up and she's got her extravagant mask and all that stuff on and she's like oh I don't know we might want to you know give the people something else to talk about you know she's old so she's bored and so she don't mind having gossip but you know they're younger so they care about what everybody else thinks so it's a man and a woman and they say basically welcome to our house so elder meets them in the hallway and he and the wife are having a conversation that's like not for other ears, but he he and Pim kind of hear some of it. And they're peculiar. They 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 intrigue them in a peculiar way. So Jethro leaves with um pressed because he has to go and I call him pressed sometimes, sorry guys. Elder. And because he had a special item made for Pim. And it turns out that that special item that he made for Pim is a bracelet that's gold and there are pennies in gold made out of gold and in the center of that penny are diamonds so basically they're priceless pennies you know not saying girl look you just worth pennies you cheap but when you put the diamonds in it it makes pennies worth more than anything right so it's like jangling you can just imagine how it jangles and she loves it obviously now they find a room that they can go in and close the door and lock it and he presents her with this bracelet. While in this room, these two finally have coitus. And it just, you know, it's not really satisfying, guys. I'm gonna, I'm, uh, you know, it's not satisfying because it's almost like a freaking exposure. It's, it's like a psychiatrist exposing you to having sex three times so that you won't be weird for the rest of the day. You know, it's almost like medication. Ugh, it's clinical. I'm not saying that the description wasn't like whatever the author was trying to make it, but it didn't hit you the way it would normally hit you with a romance where you're kind of anticipating this moment. So they get the one, the two, the three. And it worked. And before she left his room while they were still on the boat, before they docked for England, she was like, when my theory 
it's proven true. You you have to apologize to me. So I don't remember if he apologized. I don't think he did. But in his mind, he was like, I'll be damned if this girl did not read me from head to toe because he does calm down. He is so calm that now when they leave the room, now they they three times coitus. So he's he's cool. She's cool. But when they leave out the room, I mean, the, her, her dress has been torn because, you know, he just went wild. And the zipper on his fly is broken. His his uh you know tuxedo shirt whatever you call that is unbuttoned and un um tucked and they just look a hot mess leaving out this room <laughs> leaving out of this room but they don't care because you know it was almost like taking some night quill or something like they're cured or something i don't know but they are ready to go back to the boat and they do that and they're walking on the boat and he says, Pimp, will you sleep with me tonight? And this is the first time he's ever in, ever invited her into his room for the night. And she's like, sleep? And he's like, yeah, sleep. And she's like, you mean sleep, sleep? And he's like, yes, where we talk to each other until we get sleep so that we're not zombies tomorrow. And she's like, okay, but I mean, I feel like we can do a little bit more than just sleep. And he's like, well, I think something might be able to be worked out. Because remember, this theory, this three three wham-bams will get you, will get him right. So, they are happy for once. They're happy. They're like giggling, like children. And he's taking her to this room. And the more they walk, the more intoxicated they're getting with each other and you pretty much know when they get to this room they are not going to sleep okay so right before he gets to his room he notices wait a second it's too damn quiet furthermore where are all my damn employees where are all these boat people Celix is nowhere to be found the boat folks are nowhere to be found and it's too damn quiet so he goes in his room the door is open. Not a problem because he does like to air it out. He crosses the threshold and it's dark. Not a problem because the light does not need to be on because he wouldn't have it on if he wasn't in there. But the two dark figures that are in the room that snatch Pim away from him and put a gun to her head, those should not be here. And as you guessed, the Chimoku found Crest. And they found him to the degree that they are here to kill him there's no negotiation really there isn't very much talking other than him begging them to let her go this has nothing to do with him her this is his thing let her go but come on now this is the japanese mafia they are not about to let anybody leave so kunio k-u-n-i-o is the guy that uh talks to elder now this this isn't the guy that has Pam by the throat but he's not the head honcho this guy is bald face tatted intimidated just like you don't want to meet him in a lit alley you don't want to see him anywhere so elder's a little offended because he's like damn chimoku's head couldn't come you know he's not even important enough to get 
the Don or whatever to come and kill me. He has to send someone else. So Kunio refers to Elder by his birth name, which is Miki San. Now, if you know anything about Asian languages, San is not part of his name. It's just part of a reference. So his name is Miki, M-I-K-I, which I think is cute. Miki, oh, that's so cute. Anyway, so Elder goes into street fighter mode. He does not have any weapons, but that doesn't deter him because he turns into a lion. Or let's say that dragon that's tattooed on his chest, he turns into that. And he just starts to scrap. And it seems like every Chinmoku person that he beats up, another one morphs out of the darkness and comes and, you know, he's he is fighting them literally in Street Fighter mode. So he keeps going and Pim is like, this cannot continue. He is beating them and he is a beast. I've never seen him like this, but he is going to get tired and he's going to die if she doesn't help him which I don't know what Pam thinks she's going to do, but um, two other figures show up outside of his room and they enter into the room and guns are drawn. And Pam is like, okay, I guess we're dead because like they have their guns cocked and, and, and pointed. Yet those guns are pointed at the Chin Moku. So those guys, they shoot the people that are attacking Elder. Now, Chin Moku is smoked, literally. So, Pam, she's still being held up by, you know, one of the the other two because they have her, so it's not an easy shot to kill them. But those guys make short work of that. So, Pam scrambles to Elder, who has, like, a finger out of place, and, his, you know, his finger's, like, bent the wrong way. His leg looks like it's totally broken, but he's standing, and he's trying to figure out who are these people because if they're not Shinmoku, but yet they killed the Chinmoku. Who the hell are you? So they speak in this thick French accent. Because again, well, let me take that back. They're in England, but they have these French accents, which I have a theory about that. And I'll tell you after I explain. So they take Pim. They put the gun on Mickey-san, Elder, and <laughs> they take Pim. And it's like, oh, here we go again. How many can this girl be sex trafficked in you know ever like she's got to die at some point so they take her and they're backing out of the room because they have the gun on him he can't move because you know so they have a wave runner is that what you call it guys the speed boat the getaway boat on the ocean when you kidnap somebody so they have that waiting and they they drop down into it but before they go down into it they shoot elder yes they shoot him and Pim's like no you know Pim is like no and she's freaking out and she's going off and she's like you know before they shoot him they say you know elder is like I love her she loves me we're together and they're like nope we know how you guys treat women and we know the kind of mind games that you play you do not love her you do not know how to love and Pim is like no 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 and they're like you know don't worry we finally got you you know, we got all the other girls that were sold on the Q&B and you were the last one we found. We're so happy we found you. And so she's like, no, I love him. No, it's not that. This is, he is the one that rescued me from Alric. And they're like, no, we know. That's what you think. You think he loves you. They, they, they are in your head. Don't you worry. You are going home now. So they, um, 
have her in this wave runner and it's like bobbing and she is just going ballistic because elder got shot and when he got shot he fell over the rail and into the ocean and she is just hysterical because obviously they love each other and she feels something sting her arm because they shot her up with a sedative and he's like don't worry it's okay now and she's like where are you taking me what is this who are you and she's like he he said some name about how they were going to take her there i assume that it's some kind of a safe house and you know that's where it ends where she blacks out this is my theory my theory is that when um when elder went and took his dumb butt in that police station and acted all the way up that Carolyn Gray probably sent some folks after him because nothing else makes sense about how Frenchmen now they're in England. Monte Carlo is the French Riviera where they speak French. And I'm not saying French people can't be in England, but I'm just saying that these guys spoke French. Like, and even in the book, they had to translate it because it was pure French. And so I'm feeling like either Carolyn Gray has something to do with it or in some way they were tipped off oh i will say this carolyn gray probably didn't have anything to do with this i'm gonna take all that back i'm sorry guys but it does connect to carolyn gray because remember when elder uh hacked into the police database and erased Penn's record he noticed that someone else had been in there before him it was these guys these guys are like um people who rescue those who have been brutalized like that on the sex traffic they're sex traffic rescuers or whatever and they take these people to safety so in one vein it's like no you know you want them to finally be able to be together but at the same time this is kind of good because what the work that they're doing is great like wouldn't you want somebody to come and get you if somebody has stolen you so there is that and that concludes book is it three guys i think so book three and there's only one more book and that's millions <sighs> what's my assessment pepper winters i will say she did a good job of ensuring that i go on to book five because or book four the next book because if she would have played that cat mouse game on me one more time i think I, my head actually would have exploded like that emoji where it, it the head is exploding I actually would have done that. I cannot say cat mouse one more time. So the fact that this book four is going to be her attempting to assure these people that she's already safe is going to be good. It's also going to be good because these people are going to be trying to help her to come out of some of her neuroticism because she really does need a little bit of assistance with the neuroticism now. They need to actually be the ones to help her necessarily, but the work that they're doing is kind of good. Now, Pepper Winters has two books. One book is, um, I want to see if I can find it really quick because I am going to bring those books to you guys. One is a prequel. They're both kind of prequels. They're, I don't expect them to be very long. Hopefully they're not very long because I really don't want anything to interrupt this. But once I start reading those, which will be very soon in the next day or so, maybe even today, I'm going to see where they fit in all of this because I might need to read those two books and bring those to the podcast before I read the last book, only because Jethro Hawk, who is the guy that sold um, 
elder the um bracelet he he was the one who who sold the bracelet and they also had some interesting conversations while they were there and it's going to be something that it's called some kind of inheritance I'm sorry guys I can't remember the name of it I really I'm going to find it for you because I think that it's going to be something that'll be interesting so the the Jethro Hawk tale is called debt inheritance if you read this book the ball was a bit more detailed but I just kind of gave you a synopsis of what happened it might be worth knowing some of this might be worth you know connecting it to this story I'm not sure but I do know that Q Mercer is the guy that rescued Pim and it's called Tears of Tess and I think that might be more than the Jethro Hawk thing that might be the one that I need to read in between books three and four because I assume that it talks all about this organization or this group and how they rescue women and all of that and the Q&B and all that I think that might be interesting so I'll probably bring that to you guys between books four three and four because four really book three really kind of thousands this book really took my nerves and frazzled them so maybe this will give me a good break and then I can go back into book five and have hopefully a fresh mind nevertheless I hope that you are enjoying it this will be the first series that I've completed on this podcast you guys seem to be receiving it pretty well I am glad that you have this to listen to so that you don't have to torture yourself um, as it is up to this point, this is book 3000. And if you want to read it, read it. But when you hear um, suffering in my voice, you know, why suffer? I'm your bookie. I'm here to do that for you. Nevertheless, I thank you for your, your help in um, listening to the podcast and hearing my ramblings about these books. I hope it is entertaining to you, even if it's not so entertaining for me. Nevertheless, I will talk to you guys on the next episode. So another very important part of thousands that I have to make sure that I mention, and forgive me for not inserting it before I ended, was that Elder and his fortune, how did he get it? This is how he got it. Elder was a pickpocket. Remember, his father and his brother were murdered by the Chinmoku by them burning his family home down. Only he and his mother were able to escape. In order to take care of himself, he had to, or he felt he had to steal. So he would steal and he would pickpocket. And on one of his pickpocket excursions, he took a um, someone's wallet. He hadn't had anything to drink in a day and a half, so he was dying of thirst. So he took the wallet and he went to a convenience store to get something to drink. He took a five out of the wallet to pay the cashier. And when he did that, a crumpled up lottery ticket landed on the counter. Before he could pick that up, the cashier took it and ran it. Now, he can't tell her to stop because this is supposed to be his wallet. But he did try to 
say, no, I don't want to do that right now or something like that. Turns out the lights go off and he is the winner of a $798 million lottery ticket. So this is how he gets his wealth. And he never forgives himself for taking what he knows was from a man because he's got the wallet. And to this day, he still carries that person's identification, his ID card on him to remind him how much he has to be guilty about. So what Elder did was he decided that the only way that he could right this wrong was to flip this money. So he invested in the yacht business because it's a very expensive type of business and the returns are astronomical. So he did that and he um was very successful and he turned almost a billion into over $2 billion. And because he was able to do that, he made it a point to give that money back to that man. By this time, Celix is already his right-hand man. So he has to convince Elder, no, do not send that man no $798 million damn deposit into his account. Because if you do that, you are going to have the cops on us like white on rice. You have to be smart about it. So he's able to talk that sense into Elder and Elder gives it to him in smaller increments. So he gives it to him in, um, you know, the first payment is like, 300,000 or 30,000 or, you know, increments that are smaller that won't have the FBI out on you. So this is what he is doing to redeem himself. And to this date, the current date, you know, him and Pim's current date, he is one payment away from paying all $798 million back. But you know, Elder, he is beating himself up as if he has never paid this guy back, as if he never righted the wrong. Another thing I need to make sure I tell you guys about is that Celix is his right-hand man. And the average person, if they were to see Celix and Elder in their normal communication, they would think that Celix was number two. Celix has actually expressed to Elder that he does not like being number one. He likes to be the guy that nobody's paying no damn attention to. And I think I can respect that about Celix. But in my opinion, he likes to be number two so bad or unattended to so bad that where the hell was you when uh all this stuff happened at the end when Elder and Pim were shot and 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 he was doing all that fighting. What the hell? So I'm looking at C looks like, mm, you looking like you was working for Chen Moku. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Because why are you not around? Are you dead? But before this, um, before they were attacked and rescued, Pim rescued or taken, um, Elder was saying in his internal dialogue that he has got to figure out a way to convince Celix to be his partner. He is not some lackey. He's not number two. He wants him to be considered. He wants him to think of himself as equal to Elder because when everything gets, you know, after he pays this man this last payment and redeems himself, he wants to split everything that he has ever made from day one with uh, Celix. And I think that is beautiful. But I'm side-eyeing Celix, and I'm thinking Celix might not be getting anything because it's looking like he 
may have had something to do with this. Now, I always jump the gun, don't I? I want to blame the mom and I want to blame Celix. So I guess I'm just being too emotional. But Celix was nowhere to be found. And the people on deck were nowhere to be found. Were they killed? You know, the, the deck workers or what have you. So I'm interested in that. That was a beautiful part of the story. I believe how he wants Celix to have half of everything. I mean, Elder's heart can't be better. But, you know. His past and his own mind will not free him. But I had to put this on here because I totally forgot. In my summary, I summed it up too much and left this whole hunk out. So hopefully that'll give you more insight into Elder and how he is just a torment, walking torment. Anyway, I will talk to you guys again on the next episode.